Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today, I'm excited to say, is Carl Allen. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Henry. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you and excited to talk about what we're going to get into today. But uh, Carl is an, an entrepreneur, an investor, and a corporate deal maker. He's worked on transactions worth over $50 billion, which includes over 250 acquisitions and sales, uh, together with more than 100 capital fundraising projects. Uh, in a 24-year career, Carl has analyzed thousands of businesses, big and small, in 17 different countries and across nearly every business sector you can imagine. Uh, Carl has a solid reputation as an investor and corporate deal maker, having worked for Bank of America, Hewlett Packard, Forrester, and Gartner. And he has advised some of the world's largest corporations on investments, acquisitions, disposals, and restructuring. He has also assisted hundreds of business owners in raising both equity and debt financing. And uh, Carl walks the talk. He's acquired and sold numerous businesses for himself. In fact, he's just been doing quite a bit of travel, and some of it includes looking for new prospective businesses. Uh, he's one of the world's premier experts on buying and financing small businesses acquisitions, and he coaches more than 700 entrepreneurs all over the world to buy small businesses rather than starting one. So Carl is uh, chatting with us live from England this morning, morning for us, afternoon for him. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to chat briefly about his personal journey, how he got to where he is today, because he started in the corporate world as I did. And then we're going to dive into this topic specifically of buying a business as opposed to building a business. And this is of particular interest to me. I've done both, but I still kind of get hung up a little bit about whether I should buy somebody else's business or not. So we're going to chat about that. So once again, Carl Allen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. So uh, thanks for being with us. We had some technical issues here as we were getting started and, and thanks for your patience and no graciousness. we had to switch over to a different technology, but here we are. So that's great. Uh, let's uh, go back a little bit if we could, Carl. And I, I understood you, you started your, your career, your corporate career in investment banking and then moved on to private equity. Is that right? Yeah. So I started my, my deal making journey, if you will, you know, back in 1992. So I left uh, university or college, as, as you guys call it, over your side of the pond. And I went to work for an investment bank. So I started doing M&A at the grand old age of, of 21. So uh, some 26 years ago. And uh, kind of you know, I was a Wall Street guy, so I was buying and selling businesses for other people, typically very large deals, so deals for like Boeing, GE, Microsoft, IBM, you know, those types of, of clients, and, um, you know, did really, really well, you know, obviously made a lot of money, and then 2001, when uh, just after the whole NASDAQ had kind of died down, uh, I decided that I wanted to be a private equity investor, so I, I left the bank, I went to, to business school in Chicago, mm. and then I decided to go into private equity. So rather than go to an institutional PE firm, um, like a Sequoia or a Charles River Ventures, something like that, I went to work for a, a corporate VC that was building a fund company called Forrester Research. Mm. Mm. So I was working for those guys and uh, doing some deals. We, we invested in one business, which we sold to HP, a software company. And I really enjoyed 
you know, working with HP on that deal. And they, uh, they poached me to go and work for them uh, to be one of the, the guys in the mergers and acquisitions team. So uh, that, that was a fantastic experience for me. I was buying businesses all over the world for HP, some of them huge deals, but some of them, um, you know, a little bit smaller. And it was fascinating to see from the inside just how, you know, how and why businesses buy other businesses and, and how it all works internally. And it's like, it's like the duck on the water. You know, you see the calm duck sailing along and then the, the <laughs> feet are kind of paddling crazy. But, uh, and I was having a lot of fun with that, but my life massively changed, Henry, uh, 2008, just over 10 years ago. I, um, my, my wife was 36 weeks pregnant with our son, Josh, who's now 10. Um, I was in Moscow doing a deal. And the phone rang. Uh, I thought I had plenty of time. Uh, my wife called me up and I could hear the sirens in the ambulance. And she said, look, you've got to come home. I've gone into labor. My waters have broke. The little guy's on his way out. So I literally picked up my, my wallet, my cell phone, my passport from the desk. I ran out the building, held down a cab in the middle of Moscow, which is not the <laughs> smart thing to do. No. Anyway, eventually I got to the airport, got home, police escort to the hospital, and I ran into the hospital, into the room, about five minutes before my little guy came out. So uh, he came out, and I'm sat there with him, and I'm thinking, you know, I need a different way of life. You know, I, I can't be doing this anymore. My, my, you know, my family so important to me, and I don't want to miss them. So what I decided to do was, so I left HP, which was a, you know, kind of sad day, but it was a new chapter in my life. And, you know, I only kind of really had one skill set, which was buying and selling businesses. And I knew I could do it with small deals. And I knew that with small deals, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later, is it's more about psychology than it is about numbers. So if you find the right motivated seller that owns, you know, still a good business, you can negotiate in the right way a structure to buy that business without having to invest hardly any of your own money, in some cases, nothing. So... I started doing that. I was brokering deals for people. I was doing my own deals. Uh, and I've been doing that ever since. And about three years ago, uh, you know, the, the call for me to coach and mentor people, um, I, I just kind of gave in and thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to build a global entrepreneurial program. I'm going to teach people my proprietary system to find, uh, finance, negotiate, and, and turn around small businesses. So. Yeah. So, so that's what I did. Um, and you know, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. You know, I'm 47 years of age. I, I can't ever imagine retiring from this. Um, you know, I'm changing people's lives, giving them the tools and the confidence to go out and become business owners either for the first time or to, uh, you know, to buy other businesses complementary to what they, they already do. And, um, you know, we're, we're in the biggest buyer's market for small businesses probably for the last 50 years. So uh, all the planets are aligned in terms of that opportunity. Yeah. When you think back to when you, when you left, what was, tell me about, about that transition, especially that uh, letting go of that, we, we know it now to be somewhat false sense of security, but did you have a period where you struggled with that or were you so fed up that, you know, the birth of your child was kind of the, the last straw, if you will, but uh, because that, and I'm sure you deal with that now with some of your clients who are buying a business for the first time and leaving the corporate world. Yeah. What, 
what kind of struck the biggest chord with me the most was, was, you know, whilst I was having, you know, I was really enjoying working for HP. Obviously, I was very well paid, but I, I, I had no freedom. So, you know, I, I, had a, you know I, had, I had a boss, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a senior vice president uh, you know, who, who kind of managed me. And, and yeah, I was at his back and call, flying all over the place. And, and what really resonated with me was that all of my skills, all of my experience, all of my effort was, was lining the pockets of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was sacrificing, you know, my family and my health and you know my friendships and my hobbies and and i didn't really have a life and i thought you know the reason i did this was was to kind of reclaim you know my 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 life and and just get the right balance so you know have a really healthy mind and body have a fantastic relationship with my family you know my wife and my sons and still have a great business but then also i wanted to contribute more you know to the wider community and i really felt that doing what i do today would tick all of those different boxes. So that, that was my big why for, for going into this, you know, kind of back in 2008, but, you know, more lately in the last two to three years, really coaching and empowering entrepreneurs, you know, to do what I do. And it, it, it's been amazing. Yeah. yeah. I know so much of that resonates with me as, as I've come to articulate it. You either are okay with helping somebody else get wealthy or you get to a point where you can't do that anymore. You have to work on helping yourself get wealthy. Um, and we, we, in a corporate world, we give some of, if not all of our best years to helping somebody else get rich. We, we get placated by, Oh, you're building your 401k or, you know, you're making that good salary, but, but, but it's not going to get us there. But speaking of that, where, where were you financially? You were at a point where you had some savings and you could make that transition and let go oh, yeah. of that paycheck. Yeah. So I, I, I could have, I, I could have retired if I wanted to. I was Good. 38 at the time. You know, obviously, you know, coming from a Wall Street background, um, you know, obviously the rewards, you know, if you put the efforts in, are you know, pretty sizable. Um, you know, it, it, it's a very lucrative position doing mergers and acquisitions, even if you're working for other people. So it, it wasn't it wasn't a money motivation. You know, I wasn't one of these guys that was broke. You know, I you know I had seven figures in savings and real estate and all that kind of stuff. But it, it wasn't a money thing. You know, I've never been a money motivated person, which is really strange. People think, you know, if you're a Wall Street guy and you're an entrepreneur, it's all about money, and and it's not. Most of the best entrepreneurs that I've ever met. They're not money motivated. Money follows you if you're successful. If you're solving people's problems, you're changing people's lives, then obviously, you know, there's wealth to be had, but that's not the reason. For for me, I I do what I do because I wanted that balance in the four main pillars of my life. Um, And at the time of my son being born, you know, I was only super strong in the business sense. The rest of my life wasn't very good. Now I'm pleased to say, you know, they're all strong in all the same proportions. Mm-hmm. But but currently though, Carl, you're still making you know what what others might observe as significant sacrifices. We were talking about we before we started recording. You're traveling a lot. And yeah, you've touched on it. But what is it though that drives you now? And also, I'm I'm asking that related to the point you made, which I agree with for myself about not retiring. What is it that you enjoy about it now? What drives you now? So it's a number of things. So, so number one, you know, I, I, have, I have a very, very rare skill set. And it's a skill set that's been honed 
over 26 years and tens of billions of dollars worth, worth of transactions. So there are not many people in the world that, that know how to buy and sell businesses. You know, people can go to business school and learn how to do it, but you know, it's the years in the trenches, really understanding how that works to be able to, you know, coach and serve other people in, in that journey. And, and as I said before, the market opportunity for this is, is just incredible. You know, there's such a buying opportunity for, for people wanting to buy businesses. There's over 2 million businesses for sale in North America today. Only 200,000 of them will change hands in the next year, according to bizbysell.com. Yet, what really shocks me is the 6 million Americans every year will start a brand new business from scratch mm-hmm. and 96% of them will fail. And I'm trying to readdress that scenario. You know, my, my mantra in world, my kind of call sign is, you know, don't go and start a new company, go and buy a company that someone's built and is ready, but doesn't want anymore. And, and it's just a safer, faster, less risky, more enjoyable way to, you know, to go into business rather than buying, you know, building something from scratch, which you're playing the odds to whether it's going to work. Right. And when I think of it logically, of course, it makes sense. And I listen to the numbers you just shared and it's compelling. I think one of the things that, that I suffer from is I think, well, am I buying somebody else's problem or there must be a reason they're trying to sell it and I'm going to take it on and I'm not seeing what they're hiding under the hood. So is that, do you see that as a typical reservation when you work with clients as why they don't want to buy, they want to go build their own shiny object? Yeah, not, not really. And, and I think you can draw a lot of parallels with, with buying real estate. You know, uh, if, if you want to, if you want to buy a home, you know, 99% of people will buy one that someone else has built mm-hmm. and rather than building something from scratch. Some people build homes, but most people buy homes that other people have built. And, you know, like all things, if you're buying real estate, there's potentially issues with that real estate. It could be built over a mine. It could have dry rot. It could have termites in the basement. And, you know, that's why when you buy real estate, you do due diligence. And it's the same when you're buying a business. You know, you do due diligence. You know, nobody walks in to a business and says, yep, I'll have that. Here's a check. You know, you're, you're going to look at the business commercially. You're going to look at the business financially. You're going to look at the business legally. And, you know, there's a whole slew. You know, we'd be on this forever if I was talking, if I would talk you through all the ways that you can de-risk and safeguard, you know, the acquisition of a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's all about being smart and it's about following a process. And, yeah. you know, due diligence on a business is, you know, one of the most important things you know, that, that you need to do. And then I'd like you to elaborate uh, this. The other reservation that I have or misconception I have is, well, if I go to buy a successful business, a business I would want to own, then I'm going to end up paying a premium and then I can't make money at it for a much longer term. But I'm missing the key component there that the deals that you look for um, are people who are motivated. So chat with me about that, please. Yeah. So, so what's really interesting, and this goes back to the, what I call the market opportunity. So, so if you look at the U.S. market today, there's 2.44 million businesses for sale right now. That, that's U.S. plus Canada, but north of 2 million of those are, are, are United States-based deals. And if you look at the stats by bizbysell.com, they're the largest online business broker in, in the world, actually, but certainly in America, they, 
their stats last year, uh, just less than 200,000 small businesses across the United States changed hands. So, you know, there's a big disparity between the businesses for sale and the businesses that actually, you know, transact. And one of the primary reasons for that is, is the baby boomer factor. So in the United States, according to the Wall Street Journal, you've got 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day and 90% of them own small businesses. And 20 years ago, it was customary for a business owner to be handing down the business, you know, father to son, mother to daughter. That doesn't happen much anymore. You know, kids want to go to college. They want to be lawyers and bankers and doctors and consultants. Mm -hmm. They don't want to take over dad's engineering business in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Uh, which means that a lot of business owners today, they don't have an exit strategy. You know, they don't know what their plan is to get out of the business. And for that reason, what we're targeting is what we call motivated sellers. So we're looking either for uh, retirees that they don't want to sell to a competitor, a trade buyer who will likely pay a premium because they can get a lot of synergies out of that acquisition. You know, they can cross sell their products and services. They can take out cost. What the business owner typically is looking for, about 79% of all the business owners that I speak to and and, and my deal-making network speaks to, is they want a trusted, safe pair of hands. So they want somebody that knows the sector, is passionate about the sector, and can take that business to the next level, safeguarding the employees, and basically honoring the legacy that that business owner has built over the years. And in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, about 80%, that business owner um, will do a, a... very, very sensible deal in, in terms of, you know, what multiple of earnings are they looking for? And, and then how much of that deal are they prepared to let you pay over time? Mm-hmm. So what's also very interesting is the US government uh, via the SBA have really stepped in to try and solve this problem because it is an epidemic. You know, it's very, very hard for somebody to sell businesses today. Um, it's very easy to buy them if, if you know how. So the SBA through its 7A loan program, and it's just changed the numbers, they will lend you 90% of a purchase price of a business to $5 million in deal size. Um, You've only got to put 10% of that money in yourself. Um, So if you can get the the seller to carry that back as a note, or the business has got the 10% of cash already inside of it, you you can do those deals without without investing a, a penny of your own money. So you know, the government's doing its bit. And, uh, you know, what I'm doing is, is arming entrepreneurs with, with a proprietary system to, you know, find, evaluate, finance and close those transactions. So do I have any chance of being able to find those types of deals then if I just go to buysell.com myself? Is it I'm missing the way that you can help someone analyze a good business to buy? Yeah, so the majority of the deals that, that we do are not through brokers. So even though if you go to bizbuysell.com and you say, hey, I want to buy a web design business in Florida between one and $2 million and you get all those listings and then, yeah, you can click away and you can get all the information. Then some of them on there will say, hey, 90% seller financing available, 60% seller financing available, which is great. But most of the successful deals that we do are off-market deals. So what I, what I coach in my program is, you know, how to leverage social media, how to leverage your network, how to go to events, how to do a lot of direct prospecting. So doing deal origination, which is, 
essentially getting the opportunities for you to vet. It's a lot like building a sales funnel. It's a lot like working in sales. You know, it's, it's a numbers game. So you might, you might have to look at 10 or 15 or even 20 businesses before you find the right one that's got the right motivated seller. It's got the right financial profile to support a no cash down deal or a leveraged buyout, an LBO, if you want to use a technical term. And then it's in a sector that you understand you're passionate about and it's in a location, you know, that, that is convenient to you. Um, so you, you play a little bit of those numbers, you, you know, you build a deal origination funnel and then you go through the process, you know, of vetting those businesses. And, and a big part of it, Henry, is the relationship that you build, you know, with the seller. You know, at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're buying a billion dollar business, which I've done, it's 90% numbers and financial engineering and 10% psychology. Mm-hmm. If you're buying a $2 million business in the Midwest of the United States, it's 90% psychology, you know, it's 10% numbers. You know, you, you could look at two businesses that are identical. They do the same thing. They've got the same revenue, the same earnings, the same balance sheets. One's owned by a 30-year-old entrepreneur. The other one's owned by a 63-year-old baby boomer that wants to retire. It's burnt out, frustrated, you know, ready to retire. The valuations and the deal structures on those deals are going to be a million miles different. Um, it's the same with me. You know, I'm, I'm, I either own a whole or part of 19 different businesses right now. These are deals that I'm doing through my own program and through my partners that, that come into my program. And, you know, a couple of my deals, I wouldn't sell for... 50 times earnings. Um, yeah, there's a couple of deals that I have. You know, I would gladly give them away for free because I, I'm, you know, I just don't want to own them anymore. You know, they're good businesses, but I've lost the motivation, you know, to push them forward. So, you know, and because and, I have a portfolio, you know, I'm I'm wired a lot like a private equity investor. You know, if I do 10 deals, I'm looking for the two or three that are really going to make me the money. Sure. The other seven, you know, if, if I don't think they're going to go anywhere you know, I'll just give them back to the employees or, or move on. So it's the same kind of model. So on that psychology point, is that you're uncovering that once you've identified a business that looks good, at least on the surface and, and the numbers that you have access to, then you're starting to evaluate the motivation of that person. And that's what then decides whether you move forward. Am I following correctly? Yes. It's actually the other way around. Okay. Yeah. You know, so you get I, to know them first, if possible, oh, yeah. and understand that motivation before you spend any time on the numbers. Exactly. So I, I, I want to place them in the, in, you know, in, in the, what I call the distressed seller box. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking for, Nirvana for me, is to find a distressed seller of a good business. And their distress could be, they could be a corporate that they've got all these little micro subsidiaries that they don't want to own anymore mm-hmm. and they just want a safe pair of hands to take them on. Or it's, it's more readily, you know, the retiring baby boomer or it could be a burnt out entrepreneur that is either sick or tired or fed up or run out of ideas and, you know, just wants to go and do something else. The business mm-hmm. underlying is fine. Um, you know, it's not the best business in the world because as you alluded to before, they go for crazy multiples. But the vast majority of businesses that you'll look at are, you know, they're middle of the road, you know, that they're average good businesses. They just need some more energy, some more focus. Right. Um, and, and what's interesting is nine times out of 10, when I talk to a seller, like literally I, I, was, I was visiting a business, 
not too far away from me yesterday. It was an engineering business. And um, this, this gentleman, 62, wants to retire. His business has been for sale for four years. Hmm. Uh, he won't sell to a competitor. He's had all these competitors and all these <laughs> trade buyers come around. He said, look, I'm sorry. I'm not interested because I know you're going to relocate the business. I know you're going to put my employees out of work. I know you're going to change my brand. And I know you're going to change my legacy. Mm-hmm. I don't want any of that. I want somebody that will care about my business and nurture it. It, it. It's like I'm giving away my children and I want somebody to look after them and, and help them go to the next level. Yeah. So that's the kind of seller that, that, that I'm really looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, good insights there. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services, And to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. I want to go back to the point about um, finding a good sector and something that you're passionate about. And you talk a lot about this in other interviews and in your other materials. It's something that I'm always curious about because this whole thing about being passionate, I, I get confused on what people mean. Uh, for example, I'm passionate about business, but but I get it. I had a business that I bought and sold in part and wasn't the only reason, but one of the reasons I sold it is I ended up not really enjoying the clients of that business. It just wasn't a match for me personality-wise. But talk to me more about what you mean by passion if I'm looking for these different businesses and how I reconcile that, making sure that I am passionate about this particular type of business. Yeah, so, so there's two, that's a really great question, Henry. There's, there's two answers to that. So kind of at the detailed level, what, what's, what's, import, what's more important is buying a business in a sector that you understand. Because mm-hmm. if, if the whole name of this game is rapport, it's building rapport with a seller, and if you're doing a leverage buyout and the business needs financing for you to buy it, then whilst the business is raising that finance, you're effectively, you know, you're, you're the person that the financier is looking for, you know, as, as the custodian of, of their financing for you to buy it. So having sector experiences is important, but also it's about having passion. So when you're communicating with a seller or you're communicating with a financier, showing that, you know, you've got great energy for this business and sector, that you've got great ideas, you've got strategies to grow it, you know, you're really, you know, you're really excited about the challenge. You know, that that's really, really important. Now, that could be a general thing. That can yeah. be sector agnostic. Mm-hmm. So when you combine that with 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 knowing a sector, then that's a really powerful combination. The other answer to that, which um, is really interesting, is and you know, and I, I look at it from my perspective. So I'm not a business operator. So my 19 different businesses, I don't work in any of them. You know, some of them I only visit twice a year, the ones in Australia. Um, so with those, I'm like an owner investor. So I'm a bit like a private equity firm at a very small level. So I, I have processes for you know, leading those teams, those general managers that are 
doing the day-to-day managerial work. All I'm interested in is the kind of strategic work. So I'm working more on the business versus working in the business. You know, trust me, if I, if I was a general manager of any of my own businesses, they wouldn't last very long because <laughs> that, that, that's not my skill set. You know, I'm great at financing, I'm great at deal-making, and I'm great at strategy. But those are my skill sets. Those are my superpowers, and, and that's how I play the game. So when I'm partnering with people that are going to operate those businesses for me, they don't need to have my skill sets. They need to have those kind of you know, daily keeping the train running on the tracks type of mindset. So that, that's what I, I'm kind of looking for. And, and that's, that's one of the first questions that uh, I, you know, I, I take my, my, my kind of mentees that, that come into my program my coaching program, that's one of the first exercises I have them do. It's, it, it's to answer the question, you know, do you want to be the owner manager of your business or do you want to be, you know, do you want to do what I do? Do you want to be the owner operate? So do you want to be the owner investor? Do you want to build that portfolio? You know, do you want to work on the businesses, not in the businesses? And, and some people, um, you know, that, that they want to, they want mm-hmm. to run their own business, sure, which means sure. that it, you know, it's got to be in a location that's close to you. Um, you know, if you want to buy a business and you want to be like, you know, the investor chairman, the investor owner, then that business can, can be remote from you because you're not having to go in there every day. It will. And for a lot of my listeners, certainly for myself, we're talking at a much smaller scale. So often it does mean I'm going to be an owner operator, right? Yeah. I'm curious of the 19 businesses that you own, are you familiar with all of those sectors of those businesses? Some of them I am, uh, but some of them I'm not. You know, I made a switch a few years ago to really go sector agnostic. So if, if you go back to my statement that, you know, if you're doing this for the first time, start with, start with business sectors that you know and you understand. Mm-hmm. What, what I do now is if I'm going into a sector um, where I, I don't understand it that well, I will partner with somebody to uh, essentially acquire that business. So they're more of the operational partner. Right. I'm more of the kind of investor partner. And, and what, that, that's the big why behind my, my coaching program because a lot, a lot of people say to me, you know, why, why have you built this online program? Why don't you just go and, and, and do your own deals? Um, and it's a great question. And the answer is it's scale, it's leverage. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't be in 100 different cities at once. You know, I, I don't want to be traveling all over the world you know, doing deals. So what, what I do is, is, is I invite people into my program and they'll get into the realms of, of sourcing deals. And some people, they'll buy those businesses on their own. That's great. Other people, they'll find a deal and they say, hey, you know, Carl, I'd love to partner with you. Uh, can we partner on this deal and own it 50-50? I'll find it. I'll vet it. I'll line it all up. I'll build the seller relationship. I'll tee it all up. And then can you and your team effectively execute on that transaction and we'll own it together. And that's the perfect scenario for me mm, uh, because then I can scale up my portfolio massively without having to operationally get involved in any of those businesses. Right. That, that's, that's my why. That's, why. that's why I created my coaching program three years ago. It was to build that global SWAT team of deal makers uh, that would be my partners on the ground. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so, so great stuff there. Uh, I want to go back then to if, if the client you're working with is, like a lot of people I talk to, like myself, been in the corporate environment looking to buy that first business at a scale where they're going to be an owner-operator, 
that in that case, and, and what I hear often, including myself, is well, I, I want nothing to do with what I've been doing for 30 years. So the sector that I've invested in have knowledge in, or maybe it doesn't even translate, right? Maybe, maybe I've been in software development or in software sales like I was, and that's not the kind of business I want to go into. Do you then see their higher risk and mitigating that in part with what you just talked about, bringing someone in, making sure that you either retain someone at the business that you're buying or you bring someone in that does have the knowledge in that sector and the experience? Yeah. So I think the biggest question is, you know, do you want to go in and operate that business every day? And if you don't, and, and really, you know, you, you, you shouldn't. Um, you, you should be the owner investor in all cases rather than the owner manager. So if, if you want to go in, to a business. You still have to understand it, in my opinion. It makes it so much easier. However, there are lots of ways where you can put people into those businesses to do the day-to-day. -day. So I, I've never done this, but there's people in my program, my coaching program, that um, they've actually convinced the owner to stay on and run the business for them, which is amazing. So you know, the business owner just doesn't want the, the, the hassle and the pressure of, of owning the business, but is happy to go in there every day and get paid you know, for operating the business. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when people do want to retire and they do want to leave, what you typically find is, you know, they'll always have a great number two. That number two, you know, doesn't want to be the owner, but is happy to kind of step up and, and be the general manager. And what you can do is you can gift um, a small percentage of the business equity, you know, to that person to give them the incentive to actually take the business forward. If, if you don't have a seller that wants to stay and you don't have a number two in the business, then it's very easy these days you know, to go and find somebody. Um, and it's a great incentive for somebody that can come in as your partner and be the general manager for the fact that you're prepared to give them a small piece of the equity or even make them a profit interest partner. And I'm seeing that as, as, as the big trend with all of the people inside of, of, of my network because what they're doing is they're finding these people um, some of them they know, some of them they don't. They're finding them through LinkedIn and forums and, and other online sites. And they've got that kind of partner in the wings. Mm -hmm. And it's great because they're helping, they're helping them give the deal credibility. They're helping them with due diligence. Uh, they're helping them with business planning for when they take over the business. And then they're helping them execute on that plan the day that they take ownership. So I'm seeing that a lot more now inside of, of, of the program. When I first kicked it off like two, two and a bit years ago, nearly three years ago, it, it was more kind of you know, frustrated employees in larger businesses, didn't want to build a startup because of the risks, mm -hmm. wanted to buy an existing business and then run it. I, I'm seeing a bit more of a shift these days into more kind of the owner investor model Interesting. Okay, so if I've followed correctly and a little bit of knowledge I have, the reasons why buying an existing versus building my own, you know, some of the obvious obvious is I'm now I don't have the risk of build it and hopefully they will come, right? This is, this is an existing business that has a track record, it has history, it's successful, yeah. it's proven products and services. So I'm buying all of that. Yeah, I might be paying a little bit of a premium, but when I'm searching for that motivated seller and that includes various things as you articulated as to what that means and then there's the component that there's unique fi financing abilities with an existing business so oh, yeah. financing sba programs that are of course not there if i go build my own i'm going to have to right. put in a lot more of my cash and take on a lot more risk for something that's not proven obviously you've got it absolutely yeah absolutely and i, I think one of the 
one of the kind of trends in this, which is really interesting, is it, it's, it seems to be the cool thing in the United States to go and build a startup. Yes. You know, everyone looks at Mark Zuckerberg. Everybody looks at Elon Musk. You know, everybody looks at you know the Google guys. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's what I was trying. That's what I was trying to express earlier. That was the question I was trying to ask. Oh, yeah. So share that with me, Carl, because that's that is, I think, the challenge we have. We want one of those hero stories. I think. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you know, you 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 look at Facebooks, you look at Teslas, you look at Google. You know, you look at those businesses. They're in the zero point zero 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 one percent of businesses. Right. You know, that get to that level. It, it, it's insane. And uh, what one one of the best books I've ever read in my life, and I read it two or three times a year, is is the E Myth by the E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, one of my big personal heroes. And you know, I've met Michael. He's a he's a great guy. And through his kind of e-myth kind of foundation, his kind of charge, you know, he, he works, he's worked with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of small businesses over his, you know, long and distinguished career. And, and these are his statistics, you know, 96% of all small businesses will fail within 10 years and 50% of them will fail within the first year alone. Because I, I think the U.S. population is, is tricked into thinking that, well, if Mark Zuckerberg can build a multi-billion dollar business, you know, so can I. Um, and in my opinion, building a startup and making it work has got to be one of the hardest things in life. I can't imagine anything harder. What is so much easier and far less risky and a lot quicker to achieve is, you know, if, if you want to do something really innovative to solve a particular problem, you know, where, where entrepreneurs thrive in this world, is when they're passionate about solving other people's problems. And, and, and I get that, you know, but you can still do that within a business that is in some niche familiar to what you want to do. And so by going and buying a business that's, that's similar to what you want to do, uh, it, it's a great way to do it because not only are you getting cash flow from the get-go whilst you're innovating your new idea, you know, you've got employees to help you do whatever you want to do. And then once you've built this new innovation, you've got a customer base already that's probably going to buy it. Um, if you go into a startup, in most cases, it's what I call the no problem. You know, you have no cash, you've got no credit, you've got no customers, it's very hard to get suppliers to give you any terms. You've got no premises, you've got no employees, and you've got no equipment. And, and it's really, really hard, really, really hard. So, you know, but buying a small business, you know, through a leverage buyout structure where, you know, you don't necessarily have to put any of your own money in or a very, very small amount, you know, two to 5% of the deal in some cases, then it, it's just such a, such a great way of, of, of becoming an entrepreneur. And, you know, you're, you're not cheating yourself by doing it that way. You know, if, if, if you, you know, if, if you go alone and build a startup, then, you know, they're not my numbers, but statistics show that you're much more likely to fail than, than, than actually succeed. And, and, and I think it's a shame. You know, I, yeah. I really do, especially because you've got so many businesses available to buy, you know, right. that are good businesses and you've just got sellers that you just don't want them anymore. Um, yeah, yeah and that's such a key component of it, Carl. And, and, and in, I mean, in this country to speak of, I mean, there's just so many businesses that are available, good, solid uh, businesses with great history and good track record. And owners, like you said, that have, that have nurtured them and built them and have a lot of pride in them, but now have no exit strategy. 
Yeah, the, the, the first deal I ever did, um, and it was kind of an impromptu deal. Uh, I, I was asked to um, I was asked to broker the sale of a transportation company, and I knew I knew nothing about the transportation sector at the time. So I, I, I agreed to do it. And, and the way the way you work as a as a broker selling a business is, you know, they pay you an upfront fee, but then most of your money is in kind of a back end success fee on closing the deal, typically five to 8% of, of the selling price. So we agreed that deal. Then, you know, I spent a couple of months really understanding the business, what was key about it. And I took the deal to market. Um, I, I met with five or six big competitors and solicited an offer. And we, we pushed forward with that deal. You know, it was a good offer. And, you know, it was more money than they thought they were going to receive. And we went through that deal. And it was the day before closing the owner of the group that was buying, you know, kind of dropped in to kind of just say hello. And they gave him a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, there was a list of 47 names of employees that were going to get terminated the very next day. Wow. They, they, they were going to shut the business down and basically relocate it to their own compound a couple of hundred miles away. They just wanted the trucks, mm. a few of the employees, but more importantly, they just wanted the customer base. Customer base, yeah. Uh, that you know, they had their own resources to be able to deliver on those on those customer contracts. And you know, the guys called me up and said, you know, we're pulling the deal. That you know, we can't sit on a beach in retirement, mm-hmm. knowing that our loyal team of people that have served us so well, we're going to be you know in harm's way. And they were actually working out after the taxes they were going to pay on the money. You know, how much could they afford to pay these people? you know, to give them money to kind of look for another job. And, and I just turned around and said, look, I'll buy the business. And mm. um, I won't give you anywhere near what the trade buyers are going to buy, but I'll guarantee to you, I will keep that business safe. I won't terminate a single person. The name will stay the same above the door. You can retire seeing your trucks driving up and down the country as normal. And I said, I'll make, I'll, I'll, I'll take your sales manager and your operations manager and I'll, I'll give them both 15% of the business mm. and we'll be partners. That's and they, they, they shook my hands and they said, well, where are you going to get the money from? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to finance your, your, your assets. I'm going to finance your real estate. I'm going to finance some of your trucks and I'm going to finance your receivables. Uh, that's going to give me a pot of money. Uh, I'll give you some of that as a closing payment. The rest I'm going to keep in the business for working capital to grow it. And then I'm going to pay you the rest of the money over time. Uh, and they said, well, great, give you 30 days. Uh, and that was my first, my first LBO. Uh, <laughs> we grew that business and two years later I sold it. So, um, you know, and I, I kind of got bit by the bug. Uh, I thought, I know I can find people, um, in any sector that are like the brothers that, that, you know, don't want to sell for big money and have the business destroyed. They care enough about it, you know, to accept, you know, a lower price and be flexible in when their payments are going to get received. Yeah. Oh, great. And that, great that's, effectively, that's, that's effectively in a nutshell what I do and mm-hmm. what I teach. Right. Okay. So perfect segue. Is there anything else that you want to share on the coaching program that you offer? You help people go through that process, but anything else you want us to know about that program that you offer? Yeah, yeah. What, what what I think would be a better start is I I have a uh, I have a ninety minute masterclass training that I put together, um, which is completely complimentary for people to to access. If if they go to ninjaacquisitions.com forward slash free, 
they can watch that training. And, and I think when they go through it, uh, I, there's, there's people actually, there's a lot of people have watched that and gone away and done deals. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't, they've, decided, they've thought, I don't need to go into the coaching program. He's, he's giving us the, the keys to the kingdom. The coaching program is just for people that want that support and they want that accountability and they, you know, they want all of the tools and systems that I use. You know, a lot of people use the, the free training and, and, and crush it. It's great. But that, that free training, I think, will, will answer people's questions that, you know, I, I, you know, is this the right thing for me? Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend is, you know, watch the training and decide whether, you know, buying businesses is, is an avenue that you want to go down, um, especially for the next 10 years. You know, I think we've got a 10-year window where, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's very, very simple to do these types of deals. You know, 10 years from now, who knows, mm-hmm. uh, the market could have changed um, significantly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I would encourage anyone that's, that's kind of interested in, in this line of work, interested in this kind of process to, you know, definitely check out the free training at ninjaacquisitions.com forward slash free and you know there's there's all my contact details are on there as well so people can uh, reach out with any any questions uh, that they have wonderful i i have not watched that so i will go through that myself great and if you didn't get that link for our listeners we'll have that on the show notes page as well at the howabusiness.com just search for carl's episode and you'll find it there as well uh, books. You mentioned the E-Myth. The E-Myth is one of my favorites. I think it's required reading for any small business owner and required rereading. Uh, is there another book that you would recommend as well? Yeah. So the three greatest books that I've ever read, um, I'm going to tell you them all because they're all really important. So E-Myth for me it is, is the greatest book in history, um, just about business in general. Uh, and it will tell you in that book, why you shouldn't do a startup, why you should buy an existing business. Um, the other two books that, that, that I love, the, the, the greatest book on leverage buyouts is a book called Barbarians at the Gate. Absolutely fascinating book. It's the story of the $25 billion takeover of a company called RJR Nabisco uh, in the late 1980s. That was one of the largest companies in America. I think it was the 19th largest public company at the time. And, and the guy that bought it, a guy called Henry Kravis, who's uh, one of the most famous private equity investors, he bought that business, $25 billion, didn't spend a penny of his own money. Um, so when, when you read that book and you think, well, yeah, I can do this. I can do this on a $2 million deal. It's, it's the same process. It's all about, you know, it's all about a process and a system and financing. And, and the only caveat is it's a lot more about psychology on a smaller deal than it is on a, on a $25 billion deal. So anyone that's interested at all in, in doing deals, you know, read that book. It's a fascinating, fascinating read. And then the, the third book, uh, which is a book I've read only in the last few, you know, two or three months, made a massive impact on, on, on my life, is a book called uh, Wake Up Warrior, uh, which is written by uh, a chap called Garrett White, Californian guy who... You know, his life was, was down the toilet a few years ago, and he's created this kind of book about getting, you know, balance in, in the four big pillars of your life. So your business, you know, your relationships, your health and body, but also, you know, kind of your wellness and your, your spirituality and your, your, your contribution to society. And, you know, I'm, I'm living my life around that book, um, you know, Wake Up Warrior. That's quite an expensive book, actually. It's about $100, but 
you know, wow. seriously. And, and what was, what's the name of the book again? Wake Warrior? It's called Wake Up Warrior. Wake Up Warrior, got it. Wake Up Warrior. Um, it's a big movement from this kind of scary Californian guy. Who, but he's amazing. I call Garrett White. You know, fantastic. It's like your old school army sergeant major. Mm-hmm. Um, but the books, the books, great. Uh, it's a really, really good book. So, Wonderful. you know, and anybody that's you know looking to read some great books, you know, I, I read two books a week. Um, always have done. And uh, I would say, you know, those are my top three books. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big reader as well. And I have not read, I actually have not read Barbarians at the Gate, funny enough. And I need to read that. So the E-Myth, of course, as we talked about, I've read. So thanks for those recommendations. I'm a big reader as well. We'll We'll have links to all of those on the show notes page to this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up here with these last two questions, Carl. What's one thing, especially on this subject, obviously, that we dove into about buying an existing business? One thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had? Yeah, so if, if, you're, if you have any intention of owning your own business because you want the freedom, you want the lifestyle, you want the control over your own wealth creation and, and your own work-life balance, then you know, don't start a brand new company. Go and buy one that someone else has built, doesn't want anymore, and you can use the business's resources, namely its assets and its cash flows, to finance you buying it without you having to spend little to none of your own capital. So if, if that's what you're looking for in your life um, and you want to go it alone, you know, don't start a company, buy one. Perfect. And tell us again where you want us to go online to get more information ninjaacquisitions.com forward slash free. Perfect. Carl, this has been a great conversation. Um, It's challenged me in a lot of thinking and I I learned quite a bit. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. Thanks for being on. Thanks for dealing with the technical challenges up front. I appreciate your time and your knowledge. Hey, my pleasure, Henry. Thanks for, um, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, absolutely thrilled to be able to share you know, what I do and how I do it with your, uh, with your audience. I hope they get some value from it. I'm confident they will. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Carl Allen. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.